My name is Kirby Ferguson, and welcome to Copy This, the podcast about copyright. The show is brought to you by the Recreate Coalition. In January 2012, the internet had a revolt unlike anything we had ever seen before. Visitors to Wikipedia were greeted by a black page asking them to imagine a world without free knowledge. Google placed a censor bar over their logo. Tumblr, Reddit, Mozilla, and thousands of other small sites joined the action and directed their users to get informed about a couple unknown laws with odd acronyms. Our web means more than lawyers' lobbies and lies, so speak up before the internet dies. A video about this topic that I produced at the time racked up about 6 million views. But a new bill proposes we give the power to censor the internet to the entertainment industry. The laws that generated this turmoil were called SOPA, the Stop Online Piracy Act, and PIPA, the Preventing Real Online Threats to Economic Creativity and Theft of Intellectual Property Act. Whew. Let me make this absolutely clear. You're talking about the destruction of new media as we know it. Millions of people contacted their local representatives about what they feared was internet censorship. And virtually overnight, members of Congress withdrew their support for the bills, and both laws were dead and gone. Or so we thought. Here's something Clay Shirky said back then. PIPA and SOPA are not oddities, they're not anomalies, they're not events. They're the next turn of this particular screw, which has been going on 20 years now. And if we defeat these, as I hope we do, more is coming. Looking back on this event, this was the moment when the internet became a political force. It was no longer a niche for nerds. It was a major economic engine and a major center of culture. When attacked, it would defend itself. And since then, the internet has only become more and more central to our lives. While SOPA and PIPA both vanished from our lives, their spirit lives on and has assumed a variety of different forms over the years, both here in the US and abroad. Right now in the European Union, a sweeping piece of censorship is well on its way to becoming law for the entirety of Europe, and it will also impact creators here in the US. It's known as the EU Copyright Directive, and its most controversial proposal is Article 13, a clear descendant of SOPA PIPA. The Article 13 content filtering provision would require websites that host user-generated content to take effective and proportionate measures to prevent unauthorized uploading of copyrighted material. And if they don't, they'll be liable for their users' actions. The Copyright Directive is perhaps one of the biggest and riskiest pieces of legislation we've seen in the 21st century. Its sheer scale should give everyone pause. And for Americans thinking this doesn't concern us, think again. The EU's copyright directive would harm the millions of American creators who rely on the internet to reach global audiences and earn revenue. Its upload filtering and direct liability provisions are a departure from the harmony between the US and EU digital copyright systems to date, and prohibiting the free flow of information between the two continents would be especially harmful to small creators. Here to explain the copyright directive is Paul Keller. Paul is a copyright advisor in the Netherlands who develops new projects and advises public bodies, cultural institutions, and other organizations about policy. Paul, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. Nice to be here. Article 13, I, I would venture to say that a sizable portion of our audience is American. We probably aren't familiar with Article 13. What is it? So Article 13 is one of 20 or so articles of a proposed uh, copyright directive that's currently being discussed in the European Union. And it is a, the article that's caused the most controversy there. And it is an article that in terms of substance deals with open online platforms, pretty much any 
website that takes user uploads these days. So platforms that users upload content to, and it tries to change a number of rules that apply to these platforms. So it's a filter? The proponents of these articles seem to have figured out that calling that a filter makes it less attractive. They go through great lengths not calling it a filter, but in essence, most of the versions that are currently being discussed, or all of them, would require some level of filtering. And that ranges from a fairly totalitarian filter that would need to filter everything out that's mm -hmm. copyrighted and for which permission hasn't been given before, mm -hmm. to more specific versions where, for example, the filter would only need to filter out things that have been identified beforehand by rights holders. Mm -hmm. So there is a broad range. Of course, it's also a, a dump filter in a way. All the filtering technologies that we know of these days can identify a song or can identify a piece of video or can identify an image sometimes. But of course, they are not really smart in determining the content. Sure. They will recognize something, but they will not know if it's a quote, which might be perfectly okay to share, or if it's like a full reproduction of the thing that's shared in order like a pirate copy right mm -hmm. for the filter it looks at the thing and it recognizes it and says oh this thing is there and therefore if there's no permission given it needs to be taken down right so if a small new company potentially you know a person creates a new platform, they would have to create this software in order to be compliant with uh, this regulation, would have to create this filter software, right? A, a very sophisticated piece of software. They would have to create it or, or buy it from right. someone else, which right. is probably for a small company. Now, to be fair, that's also one of the things that the legislators seem to have figured out that that's problematic. Mm -hmm. and so there is currently some versions on the table as some of the discussions that are ongoing are about excluding companies up to a certain size from the requirement. I see. The way they, they have structured this thing is by first saying, this applies to everybody who deals with copyrighted works and then but formulate a list of exceptions to whom it maybe doesn't apply, which is a very, not very smart way of, of, of defining mm -hmm. a target because it's also not future-proof. You can only exclude the platforms or exclude the type of services that are already in existence mm -hmm. because something that hasn't been invented at this moment can't be written into this list of exceptions. Right. That is, by definition, an approach which will cause some collateral damage among platforms that have nothing to do with, this, uh, uh, with, with the intended target audience of this thing. So, opinion time. What is your position on, on this legislation? What do you think of it? What I think on Article 13 uh, specifically is that it shouldn't exist. Um, mm -hmm. It is a, a completely wrong approach to a problem that may or may not exist. Getting copyright toolbox is just the wrong instrument. By saying, like, this applies to every platform that deals with copyrighted material, you're catching these platforms, but you're also catching, like, literally every other platform from like little forums to things like Reddit, GitHub to potentially Wikipedia and others. And that's just bad lawmaking. I think the, the main thing is that we limit the scope of application as much as possible. 
but a scenario where this affects every little guy uh, who has a startup or every uh, every website, be that commercial or non-commercial, which accepts user uploads, is just a a nightmare scenario, and that will like like throw the internet back 20 years in time because then we're back in a situation where like the the flow of information is much more controlled by a number of large intermediaries from the leg- legacy industries and the internet uh, platforms. So I know you've mentioned this in in various spots already, but in a nutshell, why do you think listeners should be concerned about Article 13? It, the way it drafted it will have effects on lots of uh, different places of uh, on the internet and it will make things that are a a viable business model at the moment or that are a kind of like pet project of someone uh, that's enjoyed by lots of people suddenly impossible to do because it creates all kinds of legal risks it's going to be like the things nobody thought about who are going to be affected by this that's a real danger and I think we need to make sure that people are reminded that there is a lot of people out there who'd be uh, really, really mad when, mm-hmm. if the European legislator passes something which which takes parts of the internet away from them. This is taking place in the EU. It won't be directly applied to Americans, but do you think Americans should be concerned about Article 13? I think this is the holy grail for a lot of people who want to return to the power dynamics and content distribution that were there before the internet, they figured out if they can attack this principle and revert this, then they are in a much stronger position as content distributors. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, like I see this in a in a much much broader broader context. We know if things get passed in one country, they're suddenly considered to be viable probably in other countries as well. Paul, thank you so much for making time to chat with us, and happy holidays to to you and your family. Thanks. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. We'd like to dedicate this episode to the memory of John Peter Bain, a.k.a. Total Biscuit, a YouTuber we lost this year. You heard John early in the episode criticizing Sopa Pippa. Total Biscuit's YouTube page is still maintained by his wife, Jenna, who hosts the Co-Optional Podcast.